And uh, we're going to begin by going to Matthew 28, verses 19 to 20, a very popular verse that, that we're familiar with at this church. And um, we're going to build off that. So let's go to the word. I'll be reading from a different translation that was on this. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I commanded you, and lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Let's pray. Father, I just ask that your blessing will be upon us, that this word will fall on good soil this morning, this afternoon. Lord, as I give you glory, as I exalt the Son, led by the Holy Spirit, in Jesus' name, amen. Good afternoon, church. I honestly do not want to be here long, but it's not up to me. Um, it's obviously up to the Lord. Um, I was joking with Pastor Rush and Brother George early this morning that, I, you know, we won't be here too long. We could beat the Baptist of lunch. Um, it's already lunchtime, so sorry. Um, last time I spoke, it, it came from a heart of a man who, who's so filled with the passion of a correct understanding of who Jesus Christ is. And I was crazy, I understand. But today, I want to speak from the heart of the youth pastor of this church. Without planning it, it so happened to be the family service. So it's awesome to see little ones here, teenagers, young adults, and the little, bit little ones there. It's great. So with that said, this message is for everyone in this church, from the oldest to the youngest, the rookie to the veteran, the spiritually mature to our spiritual infants. It is a topic that I truly believe that needs to be spoken about for this church. And I believe it needs to be a continually conversation. Recently, Pastor Rush has spoke on the Great Commission, how it relates to us. And I'm going to build on that foundation for a little bit. Unfortunately, see, the church has viewed this passage of Scripture, Matthew 28, as the call for missionary work. That's not really the case. You see, what happens is we view the word go as the most important phrase. It's not. The most important phrase of that passage is not go, therefore, but make disciples. It is a call for every believer to be discipled and then to make disciples. That is the Great Commission. I'm going to make a bold statement here. If you do not have any intent on making disciples for Jesus Christ, then I question whether you're in the will of God or not. Because no matter what you do in your life, if you're a believer, you are called to what? Make disciples. You see, discipleship is not about programs. It's about a presence. It's about people. We have been confused about discipleship for the past 30 plus years in the Church of America that that discipleship was, was strictly done in the walls of the church building or some home group. However, that could work. But there has been a shift in thinking and the understanding that discipleship is more relational than it is systematic. Some of the most effective godly mentors have been those that have a genuine relationship with those they mentor. Jesus showed us the best example of a discipler. He invited disciples to have a relationship with him when he said, come, follow me. You have to understand those words meant so much for a Jewish young man. 
They spent probably the first 12 years of their life studying the Word of God, which we know as the Torah, the first five books of the Bible. They had it memorized. They had to know, they had to know context. They had to know all that. And after they pass their test, after they do all that, they have to sit and wait. They, they live their life and wait for a, if I could use this term, a pastor or a mentor or someone to go to them and say, come follow me. So they study the word just to wait for a priest, a religious leader to say, come, follow me. And those that did not get picked, those that were not called to an invitation, went back to their family's trade. So can you imagine Peter and his brother Simon in, in, in a boat fishing and Fishing only to hear someone walk and say, hey, Simon Peter. It was like immediately he was like, wait a minute. I got passed over, but now someone's calling me to follow. There's that shepherd I'm looking for. We know that Jesus spent three years in active ministry on earth, but his ministry was in relationships, not in church services. Jesus allowed his disciples to see his world, his life, and most of the teachings we have from Christ aren't from flashy new sermon series. No, they were disciples asking questions. From there, when he left, the disciples became sent ones, or we know them as apostles, and they continue the work. And they say, imitate me as I imitate Christ. You see, now here comes the transition of this message. I just wanted to let you know that discipleship is not a program. It's people. So I just spoke about how discipleship is about relationships, not systematic. And in here, this is where I want to share my heart. This is where I want to just open your ears. It, this Today is going to be more of an exhortation than it is a preaching or a teaching. Just hear the word. And see, before Jesus spoke those words... And before John the Baptist was preaching, repent, for the kingdom of God is at hand. The kingdom of heaven is at hand. There was 400 years of silence. 400 years in which God did not speak to a prophet. And the last book of the Bible in the Old Testament that we have recorded is Malachi. And the very last words that God spoke to Malachi comes from uh, chapter 4, verse 5 and 6, and this is where we're going to have uh, the meat of the message. It says, Behold, I am going to send you Elijah the prophet before the coming of the great and terrible day of the Lord. He will restore the hearts of the fathers to their children and the hearts of the children to their fathers so that I will not come and smite the land with a curse. There have been many Many things said in the prophetic circles concerning the spirit of Elijah. However, I am more interested in this statement. That when the spirit of Elijah comes, he will restore the heart of the fathers back to the heart of the children. And the hearts of the children back to the hearts of the father. I truly believe. With all my heart, that if God is going to move and use World Outreach Worship Center 
with its utmost potential, this needs to happen. Let me explain it this way. The hearts of the generation of the elders, the hearts of the generation of the baby boomers, the hearts of the generation of Gen X needs to turn their heart to the millennials. And the millennials need to turn their heart to those generations and those generations with each other. I want to see a cultural shift in this body of believers that we see genuine, authentic relationships between generations. Listen to me. This is not the place of the children's ministry or the youth ministry or the young adult ministries, but it's the place of the entire body. You cannot expect, hmm, this is, this is going to be free, it's not in my notes. You cannot expect God to move in this place if you drop your children off for babysitting. I just don't want to deal with them for an hour or two hours, so I'll take them to church and drop them with good old Pastor Greg. He's always happy to see kids anyways. <laughs> because if you leave it to Pastor Greg, Pastor JR, or myself to disciple a generation, it's not going to work. You have to turn your heart to this generation. And this generation needs to turn their heart to you. Because why would God give us a harvest if we don't have anyone to pass it down to? Look around, church. Now, today's different because it's a family service. But, but look around. And, and yeah, I was questioning whether I'm not going to say the statement or not. But I'm going to say it. We are getting older and with that said, I do understand that there's those of you who are in here who are burning for millennials and you do not know why. Why? Because I believe God is turning your heart to a generation that seeks authentic relationships. Millenn you know, millennials are not going to church because they don't want to be labeled as religion. You know how much mess they're messed up in? You know what I'm saying? They're going to places not because they're running away from religion. They're going to places because they found relationships. You know, they found people that said, come and follow me. There's a, there's a generation out there that are that's seeking, again, authentic relationships. There are children, there are teenagers, there's 20-somethings, and there's 30-somethings that need a mentor but need someone that has their heart turned to them so they will properly disciple them for the kingdom of God. It has to be a shift of thinking here. There's got to be a shift of thinking. Because again, how are we going to run a, race, run a race if there's no one to pass a baton to? There's no one trying to grab something because we have not accepted them in this building. See, there's this book called The Passion Generation, the seemingly reckless, definitely disruptive, but far from hopeless millennials. And a guy named Grant Skeldon and some guys like Ryan Casey Waller uh, wrote this book. And I haven't read it all, but there was something that really stood out for me. The, one of the authors said the greatest day of his life is when he found Jesus, right? He said the second most important day was when a mature believer invited him into his life. 
I'm going to read a, a couple of paragraphs real quickly, just because you can see the heart of what's going on here. <clears throat> so if you hear the word Kevin, or the name Kevin, that's talking about the mature believer. And this author writes, I earnestly wanted to know the Bible like Kevin did. I wanted to love strangers like Kevin did. I wanted someday to be a good husband and father like Kevin was. I wanted to love Jesus like Kevin loved Jesus. And eventually, I wanted to disciple someone like Kevin discipled me. A lot of people complain about this generation. They're job hopping. They're prolonging adolescence. They're slacktivists. They're still living in my home. But I got from Kevin what few young people get, and that's perspective. Young people may be different from generations before, but if they watch most of their friends making all the same mistakes, it doesn't seem like a mistake. It just seems like a natural part of life. That's where the church should be different. Because discipleship disrupts division. It's a bridge between generations. It gives perspective, vision, and wisdom to those coming up. When Kevin let me see his life, he let me see my potential. Until him, until him, I was doing, I was just doing what was right in my own. It is time, church to see authentic relationships between the generations in this body. And that is scary because we are completely different from each other. But we still must learn from each other. Amen. See, at this church, we are great at uniting ethnicities. But how are we doing by uniting generations? Discipleship disrupts divisions. Let's look how Jesus viewed the younger generation. In Matthew 19, verse 13 to 15, it says this. Then some children were brought to him so that he may lay his hands on them and pray. And the disciples rebuked him. But Jesus said, let the children alone and do not hinder them from coming to me. For the kingdom of heaven belongs to such as these. After laying his hands on them, he departed from there. Notice what happened. Children were running to Jesus so that Jesus can, be, can pray over them. And the disciples, or should I say the ministers, or should I say the generation before them, stopped them. And Jesus had to rebuke that generation and says, wait a minute. Let the children come to me, for the kingdom of God belongs to them. So church... Do not hinder the millennials from coming to Jesus. Uh, Darren showed me a text and he gave me permission. One of his friends talked about this, this generation. He says, I think all generations say the end is near, but I've never seen such a battle of good versus evil since Jesus was walking on this planet. You know, there's a war out there for this generation. Now, we say that about all generations because it's true. Because the enemy knows if they can get them younger, if he can get them when they're young. Last time I, showed, last time I spoke, I showed you guys the stats of how people believe Jesus. And the younger they get, it doesn't look very good, right? You know, Pastor Greg's on a well-deserved vacation right now. But I'm going to quote him because I, I told him I wanted to quote him today. And he says this, you don't have to have the same last name of that child in order for you to follow them. There's, in the prophetic circles, there's this thing called spiritual fathers and spiritual mothers that we hear often. And I feel like there's a generation that's looking for that. 
But there's no many, there's, there's still, uh, there's not spiritual mothers and fathers willing to do that. Maybe out of fear, maybe insecurity, I don't know. But I do believe it's time for you, older generation, turn your heart to those younger generation. I believe that authentic relationships between generation is in God's heart. Listen, church, I don't want to go through another 10 years of this church and not see the youth no longer in this building. See, according to the understanding of what Jesus says, the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of heaven is not far. You know where it's at? It's across the fellowship hall where the children meet. It's in room 207 where the youth meet. It's in uh, Industrial Park, 525 Industrial Park, where the young adults meet. That's where the kingdom of heaven is at. Don't try to separate us from this. Because every effective church body does this one thing great. They reach, equip, and empower the next generation. You see, it brings an interesting meaning to the phrase now. The God of Abraham, Isaac. And Jacob. Because God is a God of generations. And to think that we are now part of that family tree as we have been adopted into the family of God. I'm, I'm going to share something I believe that I, the Lord's given me some insight on this. Throughout the years, this church have received many prophetic wor words on how it was going to be a regional and a national anointing. Am I right? Have we heard that before? Have we? And throughout the years, every single departments have received words from God saying that revival is coming through them. Am I telling the truth here? Can I tell the truth here? And you know what's happening is those people who receive those words that revival is coming through them has made it an individualistic anointing. And did not realize that it was an anointing for the body. <laughs> Wait a minute. So what's happening is you have one ministry saying, oh, I heard God say the revival is coming through me. While another ministry is like, you might have heard that, but God spoke to me differently. And another ministry is like, oh, God's going to use me. When God is trying to say, I'm not trying to use just you. I'm trying to use us. So it begs the question, again, why will God send us a harvest if there's no one to pass it down to? And I haven't really spoke with Pastor JR, or, or, and I spoke to a little bit about Pastor Gray, but here, we're not necessarily looking or asking for help and having all you guys say, we want to help out with this. No, we're not saying that. But what we are saying is don't be afraid to look at a young person in their eyes and say, hey, come have lunch with me. Don't, don't be afraid of, you know what, we're not, listen to my heart, listen to my heart. We are not asking you to step aside. We're just asking you to make room. Because last time I checked, it goes from what faith to faith and what glory to glory. So don't be intimidated by the anointing that's on the younger generation. Because the wineskin cannot break unless the older generation allows new wineskin. 
Oh, man, here we go. So, church, listen to the heart coming from your youth pastor today. God's going to move here. The way the word of God that has been spoken to us. Your heart. Your hearts. Wiser people. Older people. Needs to turn to the heart of your children. Mm -hmm. And hey, children, your heart needs to turn to the heart of your mothers and your fathers. When I, yeah, I didn't share this first service, but when I was gone, when I was not here, uh, many of you guys who knew me, I grew up in this church. My mother's the Spanish pastor. I left, and the Lord, when he called me to leave, and no matter where I was at, I had dreams and visions that I would be ministering here, that this was always going to be my home, and I just knew, I knew, I knew I was going to come home. I had a friend say, with the anointing on your life, what are you going to do in Newport News? Why don't you come to Florida where it's happening? And I said, because something's telling me to stay. If I could be just honest with you, I don't share this with a lot of people. When I was ministering in a church in Smithfield as the interim pastor, uh, they wanted me to take over as a senior pastor, but I heard in my heart, no, I need to go back home. Because I believe, and I still believe, that there's a word, that the word of God spoken over this house is going to come to fruition. And I want to see it happening, but it's not going to happen if our generations don't come together. It's not going to happen. Because, listen, there's a generation that's weird. I get it. We're weird, okay? But we seek authentic relationships. I still don't understand millennials, and I'm, I just found out that I'm part of it. I'm, I try to rebuke that in the name of Jesus. But, you know, I, I realize that, you know, the new stat says 1980 and after, so that, I fall in that category. There's a reason why Elisha was like, hey, I want double portion. And Elijah said, well, you got to come follow me. You got to see me when I leave. I've had conversations with him. It's not about the worship. It's not about the doctrine of the word. They just don't feel welcome. Again, it brings a different perspective. When you see the phrase, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. You see, because the same God that Abraham worshipped is the same God that Isaac worshipped. And the same God that Isaac worshipped is the same God that Jacob worshipped. Which is the same God that Joseph worshipped. Which is the same God that Moses worshipped. Which is the same God that Joshua worshipped. Same God that Samson, Deborah, Barak, and all the judges worshipped. The same God that the prophet Samuel worshipped. The same God that David worshipped. The same God that Solomon worshipped. You see where I'm going here? It's the same God that Elijah and Elisha worshipped. It's the same God that Nehemiah worshipped. The same God that Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, Daniel, Hosea, Malachi, and the rest of the minor prophets worshipped. But it did not stop 
there. He is the same God that Simon Peter worshipped, the same God that John James, Matthew, Andrew, Philip, Bartholomew, Thomas, and the other James, and Thaddeus, and Stephen, and Simon, the zealot worship. He's the same God that their disciples worship. You know, those known as the apostolic fathers. The same God that Clements of Rome, Ignatius of Antioch, Polycarp, and Arrhenius worship. I'll skip some generations to take some time. He's the same God that John Wycliffe worshipped, Francis of Assisi, Thomas Aquinas. He's the same God that Martin Luther and William Tyndale worship. He's the same God that Jonathan Edwards, George Whitfield, John Calvin, John and Charles Wesley worship. He's the same God that C.A. Spurgeon and D.L. Moody worship. He's the same God that William Seymour worshipped, the guy who kind of started Azusa Street. Yeah. He's the same God that Richard Sperling, R.G. Sperling Jr., William F. Bryan, A.J. Thomason, and F.J. Lee worship, you know, and the rest of the founders and leaders of the Church of God movement that we are a part of. I'll skip some generations to make it just a little bit more personable. He is the same God that Bobby Collins worshiped, the same God that Russell Evenson worshiped, the same God that my mother, Elba Luz Vasquez, worshiped, and he's the same God that her children, Juisa, Luis, Leila, and me, that I worship. He's the same God that her grandbabies are worshiping right now. So my question, I hope that you're worshiping that same God. Oh, Father, turn our hearts back to the children and turn our children's heart back to our fathers. Of course, I just listed influential people in church history and influential people in my life. I could have added some more, but it gives a new meaning or a more meaningful uh, a meaning to, to the next time we sing the phrase, be enthroned upon the praises of a thousand generations. Because you are not alone in your praise. You're not alone in your worship. When you worship God, understand that you are joining the praises of those that went before you. And hopefully the praises of those that go behind you. For Hebrews 12, 1 and 2 says, Therefore, since we, are, we, are, we have uh, such a great cloud of witnesses surrounding us, hmm. let us lay aside every encumbrance and sin which so easily entangles us, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Church, let us not be the last generations that worships Jesus in this country. I'm going to say it again. Let us not be the last generation that worships the same God of the fathers of our faith in this country. Turn your hearts to where the ministry should be happening. The young people. Because I do not want to see this church empty in 10 years. Especially when there's a powerful anointing that's supposed to be set aside for us. There's a thing called free will, right? So it's not that God is a liar. It's that we're not doing our end of the pension. We're not the only ones worshiping that same Jesus who put on human flesh and died on the cross for our sins and arose from the dead three days later so that those who ever will believe in him will have eternal life and escape the judgment of sin and spiritual death. But how we're going to know unless there's feet to, or, or a mouth to speak it. If you want God to move in this place, 
Yes, he's still faithful and you can praise him and you can feel the tingles that you're looking for. But if you really want a reformation, if you really want a revolution, if you really want a great awakening and revival, I am pleading with the older people in this church. Make room to the younger people. Turn your heart towards them. Make that a mission for you. And younger people, turn your heart to your mother and your father. Turn your heart to the wise counsel that's given to you. Oh, I wish I had this when I was younger. I wish I wasn't that prideful. For Ephesians 3.21 says, To him be the glory in the church, and in Christ Jesus to all generations, to all generations, forever and ever. Amen. So before we sing together as one body, as multiple generations, do not give up on your children. Keep praying for their salvation. Children, do not give up on your parents. Keep praying for their salvation. Don't give up on the generation before you, nor the generation. I want to share something for you that's really, really deep, but so, so simple. You have to have like deep ears to hear it. You ready? Are you ready for this? Let, let, he, you know, he who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit has to say. You ready? The way God's going to move on the young people is not like he moved with you. So when we stand up in a moment and we begin worshiping the Lord again, I, I want you to praise God with, yes, the genuine matter of your heart. But also, may it be a prophetic declaration of what God wants to do in this body. Because I don't think, hmm. I, look, I don't know what's happening. I don't know what's happening in my life. But I know I love this place. I'm trying to love y'all, but you know, I love this place. This is my home, it's always been my home. But no, it's not an idol. But I don't want to go again another five or ten years without seeing you hand in hand with someone of, of a different generation. So may this song be enthroned, be a prophetic decoration of what this church is going to happen, what's going to happen in this church. Let's rise to our feet and with the sincerity of our heart and then we'll do another symbolic act, I believe. Because there are people who are hurting that have gone through mess, and you've gone through that same mess, but they don't know. God could use you to comfort them. But they don't know you. Because God is a God of generations. And while we're too busy fighting for rooms and space, we're losing the battle out there for souls. Every great move of God that launched missionary movements or whatever started with young people on their face praying. And I often wondered why. Because young people are crazy enough to do the radical things. 
No, this is not to kick you aside. No, we need you. Understand that. We need you, older people.